Did you know nuclear energy is America's largest full-time source of climate-friendly power? In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. That's almost as much as all the solar panels, wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, and all other clean energy sources combined. Energy Northwest is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Its mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit our website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and with me is my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories that we've been working on lately. First, Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Dan. How was your weekend? It was great. I took yeah. my uh, oldest daughter, who's 12. We went backpacking with a friend of hers and uh, or friends of ours, a dad and his daughter. They're in the same class. Um, went out to the Cascades. Hung out in the in the beautiful Cascade uh, North Cascades for for the weekend, and just had a, a great time playing in uh, picturesque waters or you know river waterfalls, lake, um, nice. and just doing you know backpacking yeah cool doing backpacking <laughs> well, hopefully i guess it's not so hot up there it was we were at a music festival yesterday it was got in my truck the thermometer said 108 but, uh, that's right in the sun ouch but, uh, yeah i had a great yeah, time that world fest is what it's called here in grass all right well what so what genre of music is that it's uh all types of um world music a lot of rock and roll to my friend's band, Kabai, uh, which is their Hawaiian music. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Very relaxing. Hawaiian music is just so soothing and it is. Pleasant. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We'll, I'll, I'll take a little like Don Ho any day of the week. Yeah, um, lovely. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a great like Christmas song out there that I put in my Christmas lineup every year. Um, here comes Santa on a red canoe. I forget who it's by. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Right. Uh, Something so, about that ukulele that just yeah. relaxes. Yeah. You know. So what uh what do you what do you have for us this week? All right. Well, I'm talking about energy storage this week. It's been a big topic. Uh a new record in Kaiso, five gigawatts. Uh, that's been publicized a little bit, but also a, a report from the market monitor on storage. Then I have a little update on a new uh, Kaiso initiative. Uh, they're updating the rules of conduct, including some um, changing of the reporting to FERC that some people don't like. And then a little bit about North Coast of California PSP events on the decline, but grid challenges still remain from Ann Ernst. All right. And yeah, I've got a few grid related, transmission grid related stories. I just feel like mm -hmm. we're just doing all transmission all the time now. Uh, first off, a new report out grading the regions of the country on transmission planning and uh, investment. And the West does not do so hot. The Kaiso does. Uh -oh. The rest of the West, not so great. 
Hmm. Also, uh, BPA, Bonneville Power Administration, announced $2 billion in infrastructure transmission upgrades. And last, Eugene, Oregon has revoked its ban on new natural gas hookups uh, after the ruling by the federal court uh, throwing that out. So, hmm. hookups. Yeah. I'll uh, go ahead and get us started on this, uh, this report from the Americans for a clean energy grid. So they just released a report, Transmission Planning and Development Regional Report Card. Rolls off the tongue, right? So uh, the California Independent System Operator, CAISO, got high marks in this report uh, that looks at transmission planning and spending across the United States. The same report, though, nearly failed the rest of the West, uh, citing a lack of centralized regional transmission planning. Mm-hmm. So uh, the report really that this organization and the report make the case that planning and development processes have to evolve if the country is going to have any hope of having a transmission grid that's able to support growing demand from electric electrification and decarbonization, bringing on uh, an increasing amount of intermittent renewable energy. So Kaiso got an A for planning, due in part to its holistic, multi-value planning approach uh, that it's adopted in recent years. Uh, Mid-continent independent system operator in the Midwest also got an A for planning. So in addition to the standard goals of reliability and affordability, Kaiso's transmission plans uh, also, the report noted, also account take into account uh, California's emission reduction goals and include scenarios in the planning such as high electrification. And they've also adopted this uh, 20-year transmission planning outlook, which is longer than they were previously doing. So in contrast, uh, there's no central transmission planning at all in the rest of the West. There's uh, two entities, Northern Grid in the Northwest and West Connect in the Southwest that play sort of a something of a role, but it's kind of... I mean, it's it's not. It has the, neither of these have any authority. They are just supposed to facilitate um, entities talking to each other. So, uh, Northern Grid and West Connect they allow participating utilities to share data and forecasts, but there's no effort or again authority to conduct comprehensive planning with regional or interregional collaboration, and certainly nothing, no authority to direct spending or prioritize yeah. investment. And it's really in the, you know, outside of California, it's really up to individual entities to figure out and develop projects. Yeah, Interestingly though, despite the fact that they got failing uh, marks for this planning, the that framework has actually worked reasonably well in, in recent years in the West. And uh, the, the Southwest, Northwest, and in between kind of actually has some of the biggest transmission projects going on right now Uh, you've got energy uh, pacific cores energy gateway project uh, idaho power and pacific cores boardman to hemingway line the trans west uh, express lane line from wyoming to the southern tip of nevada but it, it so this group americans for a clean energy grid and others i spoke to um yeah, say it, other transmission experts I, I interviewed say, you know, it's, yeah, the, there's a lot going on in the West, but there's nothing about the structure that ensures that it's going to continue at the pace that's needed. Um, this could just be, you know, some variables came together. 
Uh, so certainly this group ACEG says that this is not a reliable framework. Um, there is no framework. So you can't rely on it to right. provide long-term uh, holistic planning. And also it, it's not proactive enough it, or it's not proactive. It's purely reactive as is most transmission planning in the country with the exception uh, of CAISO and, and MISO. And you know, as mm. the uh, this group, ACEG's group uh, executive director, Christina Hayes, told me, the stakes here are only getting higher as the country electrifies and adjusts to climate change and more frequent extreme weather events. Um, so we're you know putting more strain on the grid. And you know, in Phoenix, just the like and day the day that we were talking, uh, it was the temperatures were between 110 and 118 degrees in, in Phoenix. And people are survive literally surviving only by running their air conditioners nonstop. And yeah. a report that came out in May in the journal Environmental Science and Technology estimated that if Phoenix's grid fails, nearly 13,000 residents would die and about 800,000 residents would need emergency medical treatment. So, you know, she pointed to that data and said, look, this is <laughs> this is not an intellectual or theoretical problem. Like the stakes life lives are going to be increasingly at stake in the years to come. And she's hoping uh, that, you know, policymakers and, and advocates and utilities will um, and investors will take their this report card report seriously and uh, that, you know, have some influence on creating proactive, longer term planning frameworks. Yeah, I think uh, I like the the holistic term. That's a very California kind of <laughs> uh, descriptor there. But yeah, I think with all the, the procure or the, all the generation that California needs, there's a lot of urgency on this. And Kaiso being a sophisticated organization is really looking at new new models. I, I would point out there I, I reported recently from the uh, WEIM governing body meeting where they had a presentation. There is an interregional framework being developed by Kaiso along with West Connect and Northern Grid, but it's fairly new, has not yet been leveraged for projects that provide regional benefits. But uh, obviously, the way things are going. Um, in California and the West is uh, longer term and the urgency for renewables driving that, right? Indeed. Yeah, it'll. Yeah. that's a good point about that framework that's being developed and it'll be interesting to see what kind of role that plays. Mm-hmm. Things are uh, underway for sure. You know, I hear batteries. A lot of people say batteries are really important for shoring up the grid and decreasing how much investment we need in new transmission lines. What's going yeah. on in Kaiso with batteries? Well, there was uh, some hubbub uh, about Kaiso hitting a new record of more than five gigawatts of battery storage capacity fully integrated into the grid and available for dispatch. Elliot Mainzer, ISO president and chief executive officer, said in just three years, the grid went from about 500 megawatts of storage to 5,600 5, megawatts, a tenfold increase. He says, this rapid growth of energy storage in California has significantly improved our ability to manage through challenging grid conditions, such as record heat waves and droughts. You know, this is mostly uh, lithium ion batteries, obviously being used to charge during the day when there's cheaper solar power 
and dispatch primarily in the evenings when demand's still high, but the sun is gone, of course. Um, Kaiso's formula says five gigawatts can power about 3.8 million homes for up to four hours. One Achilles heel with this technology, as we know, is that four hour limit, but uh, already making a difference. And if you look at the amounts of installed storage here, quite astounding from where we were um, just a few years back. And then uh, we also took, yeah, yeah we also took a look at, um, there's a new report from Kaiso's Department of Market Monitoring. Special report on battery storage. You can find that on the Kaiso website under recent documents. That also highlighted the five gigawatt milestone, provided a little more depth as to how storage is being used. For example, during that September 2022 heat wave, when we came close to rolling outages, batteries to help to manage net peak capacity and provided energy in the early evening, providing 2.44% of generation for the balancing area the Kaiser balancing area between 5 and 9 p.m. That was August mm-hmm. 30th, 31st to, to September 9th. And batteries also significantly helped meet load during peak solar hours as well in 2022. Between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., battery charging represented nearly 5% of load. This reduces the need for those curtailments that everybody hates. Yeah. So, yeah. and um, It is remarkable how fast... Uh... Kaiso has been able to increase their amount of um, battery capacity. I know yeah. it kind of was, it drew some, well, it drew some criticisms when they announced their focus on storage. Um, and mm-hmm. I guess some of those are still valid in terms of, uh, you know, the putting too many eggs in one basket, but it, yeah, it's been impressive how quickly I mean, that graphic that you guys ran with it, how quickly they've been yeah. able to actually build out capacity. They, like you said, went from it's less than like about 500 um, mm-hmm. total megawatt capacity. I mean, even less than that. What yeah. it was 2019, like 100? Um, yeah, it's um, to, just been exploding yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the good uh, kind of exploding. Yeah. Not the bad kind of exploding. Well, and you know, with <laughs> batteries, you never can be too sure. Yeah, and there are, and this is also done, you know, during the COVID supply chain crisis. So, mm. pretty impressive. You know, my impression after following California Energy for the the years that I have, you know, this is great. This is not. It's kind of like this. They didn't plan to do things this way. You know, it's just sort of happened this way. I mean, they they obviously planned the storage, but the reason they had to go so crazy with storage is because of. Um, you know, the generation retirements, a lack of procurement, et cetera. But uh, a success story here, I don't want to rain on that parade and uh, hats off to Kaiso and for everyone involved for such a massive build out of something that's clearly making a difference already. Great to see. Indeed. Well, uh, back up in the Northwest, Bonneville Power Administration is hoping to build out uh, and upgrade some of their their transmission system and hoping to make a difference with that. So they're moving forward with $2 billion worth of transmission system upgrades that they say will help Washington and Oregon meet those states' 2030 clean energy mandates. About $1.3 billion of that would go to reinforcing existing transmission lines crossing the Cascade Mountains helping to bring clean energy resources uh, that are located east of the mountains, bring that energy uh, from east of the mountains to 
Puget Sound and Portland areas, which are the highest concentration of demand in the Northwest. Bonneville expects the projects would be completed between 2025 and 2032. And if they are all energized, they would provide at least six gigawatts of additional capacity on the agency's transmission network. Uh, the work is sure. part of the agency's efforts to take a longer term view of customer and regional transmission needs. Uh, right now, just to kind of give you context for increasing demand on BPA's transmission grid, BPA has more than 140 gigawatts of generation interconnection requests in its queue, more or less. You know, it's a daily; it changes daily, and all almost all of that is from renewable energy resources. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, I think the agency uh, or BPA says that about like 10 to 15 percent of that actually results in projects that get built. But I mean, even 10 percent, yeah. it's 14 gigawatts. Um, so a lot of, That's, uh, yeah. interconnection requests. Um, yeah. So they're talking about $2 billion worth of projects that will add at least 6,000 megawatts, six gigawatts to the grid, uh, transmission grid. Um, but yeah, as you can, you know, the, those generation queues, um, that's not even half of what, huh. what we can expect to get built based on past performance of uh, inter- interconnection requests uh, panning out to actual projects. Yeah, I don't know if they have any reforms in mind for that uh, interconnection process like's happening in California, but being increasingly recognized as a, sort of an inefficient process, all the studying of projects that are never built. To say the least. But, yeah, but uh, it's nice to see this. A couple, couple billion dollars in transmission would make a big difference, I think. Uh, hopefully, I mean, it's yeah. as we're as you know, experts are, and well, just I mean, analysis is it's uh, showing us though, two billion. It's a good start, but it is just a drop in the bucket for what's needed. So, yep. But, so it's uh, a good start, though. Let's keep it positive. Yeah, it's a positive episode today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's like that's that. our goal. <laughs> So the rules of conduct updates, uh, rules of conduct yeah. updates. Uh, hopefully, this is a positive story too. I think so. Um, well, Kaisa is revising its rules of conduct, including one proposal that public uh, citizen does not like. We'll talk about that in a second. On July sixth, Kaiso issued its straw proposal for the rules of conduct initiative, which will be done in two tracks. The first track will focus on meter data penalties. Meter data represents the energy generated or consumed during a given settlement interval. The ISO and scheduling coordinator meter data entities follow specific processes and procedures to ensure this data is settlement quality. If they don't submit settlement quality meter data by the deadline, they're subject to penalties. Kaiso has been running into some issues with this where they have to keep seeking waivers from FERC, uh, their old methodology. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, th- these waivers back in 2011, the the penalties were initially based on 30% of the cost of the error to the market is self-reported, which led to disproportionate penalties. ISO went to FERC in 2011, changed the penalty to $1,000 per trading day. But this per trading day penalty structure led to disproportionate penalties for small long-term errors. Here's one example in 2020, Kaiso sought 
a waiver from FERC for a meter data penalty of $685,000, which is 983% of the cost of the market. FERC approved this waiver, but said, hey, I think you need to go update your penalty structure. So that's what they did. ISO said it intends to redesign the inaccurate settlement quality meter data penalty such that the cost is more proportional to the impact on the market and the ISO's operations. Another part of this proposal is that instead of um, going to FERC for approval of the distribution of penalty proceeds, I've seen these filings, they go to FERC and say, hey, here's our penalty proceeds for the year. I think it's on yearly. Um, now they just plan to post that to the ISO's website. This is intended to relieve administrative burden. I talked to Tyson Slocum, director of Public Citizens Energy Program, said that by not filing the penalties with FERC will reduce transparency. Tyson in the past has lobbied for CAISO to be required to list the names of entities that receive penalties, which currently are kept anonymous. I'm not sure why. Um, now with CAISO just proposing putting this on their website that doesn't uh it doesn't do the same thing when filing with FERC. If you file with FERC, triggers requirements under Federal Power Act to establish public intervention and comment period. That would be eliminated under this proposal, according to Tyson. I asked Kaiso for comment on that. They did not get back to me. Anyhow, comments on this proposal are due July 20th. Track one final proposal set for issuance on August 1st. Fairly quick pace here. Board of Governors and WEIM governing body scheduled to review this on September 30th. So, yep, Kaiso Rules of Conduct. You can find that on their policy initiatives page on the Kaiso website. But heading back to the Northwest, you've got some news on us, news for us about Eugene. I do. So, after a ruling from the federal courts that uh, tossed out Berkeley's ban on natural gas hookups. Uh, City mm. Council of Eugene, Oregon voted uh, July 10th to repeal an ordinance, uh, an earlier ordinance that had passed uh, aimed to ban natural gas hookups and other fossil fuel infrastructure in certain types of new residential construction in the city. Mm. Uh, they, the City Council had approved this ban in February but then the ruling came down at, from the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, this spring, overturning a similar ban imposed by uh, the city of Berkeley in California. There have mm. been several cities in the Northwest that have sought to follow Berkeley's lead. And it looks like, though, that uh, ruling from the Ninth Circuit is going to really start rolling these back. So. The, yeah, you know, uh, so activists had really hoped that they could take, uh, you know, the the fight against fossil fuel uh, fired power to the local level, but it looks like that avenue is, uh, you know, it's going to be shut down at least for the time being until maybe they can come up with some other approach that uh, passes the test, uh, whatever test it needs to pass with the in federal court. Yeah, man, it's just getting messier and messier with this thing. But uh, big change requires, you know, this type of process, I suppose. Have you, have you ever uh, used an induction stove? We have one, actually. Do you? Yeah. Do you like it? I, yeah, it's amazing. 
we our cool. stove broke uh very unexpectedly uh i forget a few months back and we ended up we looked in we actually looked into getting natural gas hookup in our um kitchen it just mm. was it did not pencil out and also now all the research that's come out on natural gas ovens and the con- pollution they put into uh, your house yeah. very glad it didn't pencil out but yeah we got an <laughs> induction and it's kind of like magic it's amazing yeah it took some while to get used to uh because man yep. that it heats up fast it does yeah i've got um i'm renting right now but we have a, a kind of cheaper one i found it a little bit frustrating it, it seems to it's always shutting off on me i don't know if you had that problem at first First time I used one, I was using the wrong type of pan. And I was just like, every time I went to cook, the thing would shut off. I'm like, what is going on with this? And oh, out, yeah. Need a specific type of yes, pan. But uh, I think the more, the pricier ones are probably probably better. And I'll tell you one thing, if you ever had to light gas stove pilots and deal with all that, is uh, that's something I will never miss. It's like, hey, uh, you know, if I screw this up, you're going to blow the house up. <laughs> never pleasant. Nope. Nope. Um, yeah, the other thing I'll say uh, is there's a few of our pans that were warped and mm-hmm. we had to just toss them out because it was, or give them to people who could, uh, <laughs> like, had natural gas stoves and could use them. Yeah. Um, because it, so it, it only, the pan only heats up, the, the surface, the stove surface um, only heats up, or the range surface. Uh, Whatever, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Only heats up where the metal is touching it, and mm. so if you've got a warp pan, even if it's just you know <laughs> a millimeter gap, it doesn't yeah. heat up that side. Except, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, metal heat spreads throughout metal, but uh, it just you know you had to be careful of it and like have to tilt it up to make sure both sides. It was a pain. Yeah, um, that was my only. Yeah. So now I'm. I mean, I've always tried to be careful, but I am now like triply careful to make sure I do not do anything to possibly warp a pan because mm-hmm. it's a headache. So yeah, there's, hey, there's uh, a little, little little tricks you got to learn with these. Things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. Sorry to hear yours is shutting off though. Yeah, that seems like a, a it, it it works, but it's just little. This is like a two hundred dollar <laughs> unit, so yeah, I might be no. part of the reason. Perhaps. Uh, so you've uh, got a we've got a story from Ann Ernst about uh, public safety power shutoffs. Yeah, there are, there are fewer PSPSs predicted for the North Coast region of California, but the area's unique grid configuration continues to pose challenges. The reason PSPS impacts have declined, according to Pacific Gas Electric, is because this work has been done for years. It's being done across the entire service territory. That's according to Grady Matai Jackson, senior counsel. This is from a July 11th meeting of the North Coast Resiliency Initiative. He said, if you were to look at the PSPS look back for areas outside of the North Coast, you're going to see that exact same thing. We've made huge strides in mitigating PSPSs. I've observed this myself, but it's not perfect yet. There's still plenty of work to do. The North Coast has been significantly affected by PSPS events since these began in 2019. And there's also something known as indirect PSPS customers. These are people outside the PSPS target area that still lose their power because their distribution lines are served by transmission lines that are sometimes de-energized. 
in an effort to prevent wildfires, large portions of the North Coast region, which includes the counties of Mendocino, Lakes, Sonoma, Napa, and Marin, are considered high fire threat districts. So that's one contributing factor. Um, the total load in the region is too high to be served just by imports and is dependent on local generation. So when a transmission line is de-energized through PSPS, load must be dropped. It's the overlapping risk of fire risk and transmission line configuration, which led to the creation of the North Coast Resiliency Initiative in 2021. That's a multi-jurisdictional effort to study the causes of and determine mitigation strategies for these transmission level PSPSs. They developed a four-step framework for addressing grid issues that inform the problem solving on this issue. So yeah, more research going into this. And, you know, when these things started in 2019, they were they were really bad, um, but much better now. And with all the, the wildfire mitigation and forest clearing, we're starting to, uh, no pun intended, come out of the woods a little bit on this issue. Happy to see that because uh, we, we not only have PSPSs, we also have our old fashioned, you know, reliability outages too. Yeah. But yeah, some good stuff from Ann Ernst there. Yeah, and that on the new, new state website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can check out all all these stories and more uh, at uh, newsdata.com. Yep. In the meantime, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Pass it along to a friend. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole. And I was just actually in the process of signing up for Thread, so I'll have that for you next mm-hmm. week. All right, one more account to maintain. Yeah. I haven't checked it out yet, but tell me, tell me how it is. I will. Back in the quaint uh, days of Twitter, California Energy Markets is still there at CEM News Data. I'm also there at Fordney Energy. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.